Hi, this is the Robberator, and you can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. I just ate spaghetti. Oh, I'm did you? Anything. Well, you got a little on your face, right? Like a little right there? Like just right really? on your face? Right. Just like, right all, here? no, just like on the bottom part. Just like, yeah, and then kind of on your nose. On my just nose? Like, yeah, just like. You don't really have any spaghetti on your face. Ah, you were fooling also, me the whole time. This is an audio show. Yeah, no one can tell. <laughs> it was theater of the mind. How's it going? And I found whole grain pasta that didn't taste bad. Oh, fantastic. You just froze on my end again. I hope it was recording your sound somehow magically, but I don't think it was. So I'm going to say again. What were you, what did I ask? What was my question I asked? How are you? How are you? I'm good. good. I made the spaghetti myself and oh, used good. whole grain pasta that didn't taste bad. That's the part that I heard. Didn't taste bad. Good to mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Um, people on the show are going to be like, what was that? That was really weird. Anyway, if that keeps <laughs> happening more, tone. I'm just going to keep making you repeat yourself if I see that happen again. And we'll just hope I'm for the good, best. I'm doing good. I made the spaghetti myself using whole grain pasta that didn't taste bad. You, I, you didn't have to repeat yourself that time. I didn't have to repeat myself that time. <laughs> what I think is happening is that my husband is on the roof right now installing a weather station. Okay. And I told him before the show, I was like, is this going to mess up with the audio? Or is this going to mm. mess up the internet connection? Yeah, internet, and he said, yes, yeah. it's definitely going to mess up the internet connection. And I said, are you okay. joking? And he said, yes. And he said, am I? So I don't know if he was actually joking or not. There's no reason why it should touch. He, is it connected to the internet? Yes. The weather station? Yes, mm. it is. Mm. I mean, but that's low bandwidth, right? It's got, it, it really shouldn't. It, I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine so. I just, I was half joking, but then he made the joke that it would mess things up. And well, you have so much weather in so. San Francisco. I don't like, know. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Um, he's actually asking me to go get him screws from downstairs, which is awkward because I'm not going to do that right now. No, because you're recording a I'm show. Recording. Let's go into the quick burns. Hey, uh, Silvana, which by the way, Silvana did not go unnoticed that you have a lovely, uh, Syndulla, uh, avatar now from Star Wars Rebels. Very cool, nice. Silvana very cool. said BBC is going to adapt China Mieville's The City in the City, a uh, noir is- thriller in a Mieville world sold. This is so cool. I'm so excited. Yeah. And we better get it day and date here in the U.S. That's all I got to say. I know. I really, I really, really want to watch this. Um, And it's cool, too, because it's not like it's not like kind of, you know, some other China Mieville stories can be a little bit like, you know, like intense or like, you know, a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is this one is like super just cool and noir and interesting. And there's like, you know, really cool physics. And it's it's, you know, this I I think about this book a lot and I tell people a lot about this book. So I'm really excited that this this could be like the next big, awesome TV event. I thought about it quite a bit with the Invisible Library. Mm, Okay, even though it's not the same premise of a city over a city, but like, again, alternate London's. 
Right, right. We've, we have had a few of, of that kind yeah. of theme recently. Um, so yeah. that's really great. Yeah, I'm excited about this. It's going to be uh, on the BBC, uh, as you mentioned. And do we know anything else about it, really? Four-part television part. series. Okay, so it's going to be, that's how long it's going to be, four-part television series. And I'm just stoked. And, da- and David Morrissey, from who played the governor on Walking Dead, is going to be the, the star. So that's like, he's amazing, too. Yeah, he's been in Doctor Who as well. Uh, Has he been? Yeah, in one of the Christmas specials. Oh. oh. He was the doctor, the guy who lost his memory. Oh. (laughs) And at first you're like, wait a minute, that's not the doctor. (laughs) That's funny. Um, So very cool. Cool stuff. Uh, I'm really excited about that. David says the 2016 BSFA award winners were announced this past weekend at EasterCon. BSFA, um, of course, stands for Be So Effin' Awesome. British Science Fiction Association. Or that. <laughs> and uh, EasterCon uh, was held in Birmingham, uh, England this past year. Uh, Europe in Winter by Dave Hutchinson won Best Novel. And Liberty Bird by Jane Fenn won Best Short Fiction. You can see nice. all of the winners over at bsfa.co. UK. Congratulations in, in a British accent to all of you. Uh, Michelle posted the good news that Wheel of Time's television show is back in the hands of somebody that the widow of Robert Jordan would like it to be in the hands of. Sony Television has uh, the option to make the Wheel of Time TV show and it's under development, which, as we all know, doesn't mean it's actually coming to air. But, you know, the wheels are turning. It's headed the right direction now. The wheels are turning, Tom. Yes, the obviously. We- the wheels are turning. That's what I you mean. It's with. taken time oh. to get this underway. Uh, but Rafe Judkins is attached as a writer and producer. He did uh, some work on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Chuck, and Hemlock Grove. Very cool. Yeah. Aaron says Independent Bookstore Day is Saturday, April 29th. Independent Bookstore Day is a one-day national party that takes place at indie bookstores across the country on the last Saturday in April. Every store is unique and independent, and every party is different. But in addition to authors, live music, cupcakes, scavenger hunts, kids' events, art tables, readings, barbecues, contests, and other fun stuff, there are exclusive books and literary items that you can only get on that day. Not before, not after, and not online. Gotta go in person. Gotta smell the books. Gotta see what kind of cupcakes they have. Maybe they don't have cupcakes. Maybe they have invisible cupcakes. Maybe they have imaginary cupcakes. It's all different at the different bookstores. Yep. So you can check them out at IndieBookstoreDay.com. Look for a store near you. I'm going to click on find a bookstore and see what stores in my area are participating. My localist bookstore is Sam Johnson's totally used bookstore uh, and and not particularly focused on genre, although they do have a nice science fiction and fantasy section. They're more of a literature oriented store, but I would love for them to be doing something. Where's the where's the lookup thing? It's on the top of the page. Let's see. I don't actually, you know, I'm surprised to see that Borderlands isn't uh, one of the listed participants, um, but we've got Booksmith and Books Inc. and Green Apple Books, of course, which is a very popular bookstore around here. Um, Book Passage, City Light, which is amazing. Uh, never tons, heard of it. T- never, never heard of it. Never heard of that particular one. <laughs> city lights, you said? City, city light. Oh, is that like, is it also like a lamp store or? <laughs> there is actually a lamp store in San Francisco called City Lights. Oh, of course there is. Because yeah. why would there not be? It has oh, to. Oh yeah. A lot of bookstores are not registered. I'm sure Borderlands will be 
in observing it. Cause yeah, a lot of, a lot of the bookstores near me are not on here either. Gotcha. Well, uh, we will all enjoy that, but Neil Gaiman is enjoying letting stars in on a few secrets regarding the American God sequel. Now don't get excited. He's not saying when it's going to be written. He's not saying anything about it except to the showrunners of American Gods, but he is making sure that certain lines and hints that have made it into the script stay in the show because he's telling them, look, you guys are the only ones besides me who knows what's going to happen in the American Gods sequel now in any way, but you need to leave that line in. You need to leave that illusion in. You need Mm -hmm. to have that object Mm -hmm. on the shelf because it's going to be really important if we ever get to season five. Gotcha. Okay. So this is this is funny, too, because this is almost like the opposite of what George R. R. Martin has done, which is like, well, I guess the whole series, you, you could do whatever because it's going to happen first. And so I guess we'll just figure it out as as time goes on. I wonder if when if they get to season five and Neil Gaiman has not written the sequel to American Gods, is he going to let them just go ahead? <sighs> Would he get into that George R. R. Martin situation? Is he already doing it, though? I mean, is he is not. It's, no, hasn't started he, yet. Well, he's got the ideas, but no, he according to this Entertainment Weekly, it's not coming out anytime soon. OK, so he has the ideas. He's told them what his ideas are. Yeah. And he doesn't want them to spoil that. But he's got five years. So. Yeah. Oh, wait, what are what's in five years? What happens in five years? Five, well, he he made a remark of like, you'll need this when you get to season five. So I'm just using that as a benchmark of okay. when they would need to start going into American Gods 2. So they've, anyway. really got, they've really got some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the risk of, of messing things up. Before uh, George R. R. Martin has to write a blog post telling everyone to leave Neil Gaiman alone. <laughs> the way Neil Gaiman did for George R. Uh, all right. Well, Matthew says, I really enjoyed this and all of Joe Hill's work so far. So hope a show based on it as well. So hope a show based on it is good as well. Uh, Hulu is doing a pilot based on Joe Hill's comic Lock and Key. Now, Matthew, super appreciate you putting in the quick burns. Always good to start with the thing you're talking about. I was like, what are we going to, what are we talking about? Because well, he just put the link in, right? Yes, and then yeah. he said, hey, I really enjoyed this. But yeah, he's talking about Lock and Key, uh, which is a graphic novel. And mm-hmm. we don't usually cover the graphic novels, but uh, Joe Hill being Stephen King's son, Lock and Key was made into an audiobook on Audible, and it is universally praised as an excellent piece of horror fantasy. I think it kind of edges in on the fantasy world quite a bit. Uh, and I enjoyed it, the graphic novel myself quite a lot. So I am hopeful that they can make a good TV show out of it. Yeah. It sounds too scary for me though. Oh, yeah, well, probably too bad. Too scary for <laughs> Shall we pull our swords out? Yeah. Oh, now it is time. Oh. Oh. Now it's time for bear your sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Tom, never say that again. I will never say that again. Never. Uh, some things sound better in your head. Some things you should at least run through your head first. <laughs> just like a trial, say, just like, yeah. uh, you know, like test it out, see how it like roll it around a little bit, see how it feels. Hey, oh. let's look at Christos post. Christos wrote, people always say that magic is just advanced technology. I believe what Christos is referring to is the idea that any piece of science that is significantly advanced will appear indistinguishable from magic. Uh, But Christos says, I think that's lazy. That quote was never meant to explain actual magic in fiction, but writers use it as an excuse 
cough Marvel movies cough <laughs> without even specifying how that tech works. I don't think magic needs an explanation, but if they have to explain it, at least come up with a better excuse than advanced tech. Best explanation of magic I've heard is from a Guardians of the Galaxy comic where a villain says, magic is just an exotic and powerful energy that some people can harness and control to change matter. Mm, hmm Yeah, Brian says, midichlorians, audience booze. No. Just kidding. Ha <laughs> ha. He says, uh, these days words like quantum are thrown around liberally to add a level of scientific credibility to magic. Hmm. Do you want a Tom answer to this? Sure. Yeah, I love Tom answers to most things. My Tom answer to this is, okay, there is nothing wrong, cough Marvel movies, cough, with just saying, we're not going to get into the tech. It's advanced tech and it works. Mm -hmm. I think that's fine. As long as you're not pretending that you have an explanation that doesn't make any sense. If you're just going to be like, yeah, yeah, it's advanced tech. I'm okay with that. That's a MacGuffin. Sometimes you don't need everything explained. So if that's the thing they're doing, that's fine. What I don't like, and I think this is probably where Christos is really most bugged, is when they kind of half explain it, like, and this is what Brian is alluding to, too. Uh, you're like, well, the quantum fibrillator obviously reroutes through the bugger. And you're like, and then that once you get stuck sense. in that, you just you you have to spend so much time fitting everything into that nice little box after yeah. that. And it, it kind of like I feel like as an as an author, that would be a very difficult thing to have to continuously go back and do. So either do realistic science. It can mm -hmm. be advanced science, but has some basis and explanation, like an understanding of what quantum uh, mechanics actually means or do magic or do, you know, hand wavy tech i think there's there's a place for that sometimes but don't try to 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 mix them up then of course there's the idea of you know a magic system that is explained and like patrick rothfuss does to great effect and mm -hmm. i love that where it's like not trying to be science it's just explaining like oh here's how here's how magic works in this world i'm gonna write a book <laughs> ah excuse me i said Are i'm gonna write a book about quantum fairies yeah, see, that's striding the line. Mm, mm -hmm. Are they fairies that pop in and out of existence? <laughs> yes. Uh, Sean has a post uh, called, Why Doesn't Anyone Get Stuck in Fantasyland Anymore? Um, he says, I've been reading a bunch of fantasy uh, novels from Japan recently, and about half of them are about guys from modern Japan who get sucked into fantasy worlds. There are countless variations. The fantasy world is exactly like a popular MMORPG. The hero gets stuck with a nerfed weapon. The hero uses his knowledge of political science and economics to make the world a better place. And these are all links, by the way, to actual books that you can go check out. The hero has no skills, so he opens a pizzeria. That sounds kind of amazing, actually. He says, these types of stories used to be common in Western fantasy, too. Narnia, Oz, Wonderland, Barzoom, Gore. Barzoom. Barzoom, yeah. Gore. Uh, but they largely disappeared in the 90s. Charlie Strauss's uh, Merchant Princess series kind of fits, but it's technically science fiction about sliders who travel to an alternate history. I guess Harry Potter and the Magicians have some element of this, but those are more about secret places that exist in our own world. We don't see any more stories set in a completely different fantasy world with epic battles and grand quests, but the main character is from L.A. See, I, I kind of disagree. I think the Magicians, I mean... Fillory is really a different world. I mean, those are different dimensions. Those aren't just, that's not just a different version of our world. Yeah, totally. I mean, The Magicians is, I think, the explanation to his 
his quandary. Because uh, he says, I could think of possible explanations. The rise of dark and gritty fantasy has made these kinds of stories unappealing. But that's just begging the question. You're saying because these other things are popular. Uh, number two, smartphones um, are so integral to our lives we can't imagine spending a year walking to Mordor without being able to tweet. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know that that's that really one, the yeah. issue. Uh, but number three, I think he's onto something. He says modern fantasy is more realistic than old stuff, and the idea that a schlub from our world could pick up a sword and not get killed is pretty ridiculous. I think that's exactly it. I think in the in the Western fantasy tradition, we got tired of those stories. When you tell certain kinds of stories over and over again, eventually people are like, Ugh, another one of these where the real-life person gets sucked into the fantasy world and it's all Mary Sue, blah, blah, blah. And, and so you get the magicians, which is, okay, we're going to suck real-life people into the fantasy world, but the fantasy world is going to not be what you would expect. It's going to be a more realistic take. It's the readers demanding not to be told the same story over and over again, I think. And I think, too, with the magicians, a, a big difference is that the readers get sucked into a fantasy world that they happen to be, actually be very knowledgeable about. And so, it's, and it's, it's not as idealistic as the usual. It, thing. It's different, but they do have a working knowledge of the mm -hmm. world and the people in it and how it's supposed to work. So they're not yeah. like completely thrown in and, and like, oh, I don't know where I am. So there's a little more of more intrigue there, I would say. Uh, but yeah, a lot of interesting discussions about this. I think, um, you know, Trike goes on to mention the magicians, Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children, um, you know, the the golem and the Ginny a little bit, I guess. Those are a little bit different. It's it's just uh the B. E. Some... Schwab is pretty close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you have the gray and the red but that's also and one they of those, know those are there. I mean, I feel like But we don't. But we don't. Mm, yes, I guess as gray as people in the gray world, we yeah. didn't know those places existed. Exactly. True. And you have a gray character gets sucked in is like, what's going on? Right. All right. Well, good, good discussion. Yeah. Keep talking about that. That's a that's an interesting uh, topic, you guys. I think it's I, I like those kinds of stories. I think they're actually kind of fun, but I like escapism stuff, too. So maybe. That's well, and I think me. the magicians was the, the 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 attempt to try to tell one of those stories and bring a new feeling to it mm -hmm. i would like to see more people try that see see some other takes maybe they don't have to be dark all right well let's jump into the book of the month discussion um so we'll do a kickoff a little bit a little bit of brief description of the the may book pick which tom decided on and then we will do a wrap-up of the invisible library by genevieve cogman yeah, so I wanted to pick something more recent uh, because the last few sci-fi picks, the laser picks, have, have been older. Uh, and I, we, we try to balance it out and change it around. Uh, and I wanted spaceships. Uh, I mm. wanted to, to stick in space. So I went with Becky Chambers' The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, which is all about a nine-person crew in a spaceship going from place to place. Very character-driven oh. story. What's that? Oh, it's a little – it's, it's, you know, it, it, it feels a little Firefly-like. Uh, you know, what's funny is everyone says that it mm -hmm. sounds very Firefly. I've seen a million reviews say that it's got a Firefly feel. But in a review she gave to the Mary Sue, Becky Chambers says she hadn't even seen Firefly when she started writing the book. Wow. And she th she looks at it now. Now that she has seen Firefly, she's like, I guess it's like a crew and they do all get together in the kitchen and laugh sometimes. <laughs> But other than that, I don't see the parallels. <laughs> I think people just so badly want Firefly to still be around that they're like grasping for yeah. straws. And at this point, now I feel bad having said that because I did read that on the Internet so much. But she's probably sick to death of hearing that. And I can well, totally I understand that. I think we all like I feel that way about the crew of the Rosinante and the James S.A. Corey books, too. We all loved the camaraderie of the Firefly crew. And so when we ever see that camaraderie, 
we say, oh, it's got the feeling of Firefly, even if everything else about it is different. And I think that's a, a compliment to Becky Chambers, that she created a crew that people feel that attached to. Um, one thing you should know about this book is she kickstarted it. She uh, had some freelance jobs dry up and was working on this book and decided that instead of shelving it while she looked for other work, she would just take it to Kickstarter. So she raised $2,810, self-published it. It caught some eyes, got nominated for a kitschy award as best debut novel, and eventually got put out by Harper Voyager. So success. There's even a, a sequel, though Interestingly, she didn't intend this as a trilogy. She wrote one other book in the series, uh, A Closed and Common Orbit, mm -hmm. and she has no plans for more of the crew of the Wayfarer, which is the name of the ship, although she says she does want to write st other stuff in the universe. Yeah, I have I have both books actually, um, and I'm really excited to 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 get to read this one. It's been it's been on my shelf for for some time now, and I'm excited about it. I started reading it a couple nights ago, and I think this is going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. All right. Uh, but we still have to wrap up The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cogman. Yes, we do. Um, I I really liked this book. Uh, I'll just get that out of the row, out of the way. Um, I thought it was really fun. I, I liked the characters a lot. I liked the the idea of the book. Um, I, it made me want to learn a lot more about that particular universe, or I guess universe of universes. Um, you know, the the library made me think a lot of the magicians. You know, to bring it back to the magicians again, which for some reason coming up a lot in this episode. Um, it, 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 that felt a little similar. That was funny. Like this, this kind of like omniscient library that is aware of all the, the secrets of the other universes and other places in the world. And I thought that was kind of cool. And also the kind of like the moral ambiguity of the library, like we're led to believe because we're looking at it through her eyes, um, that it's supposed to be like this, this good thing. And they're doing, good in these universes, but no one ever really says that. I mean, we don't really know what it means to take a book out of a universe and remove it. And talk it. about an unreliable narrator. Yeah. She was raised in the library. Of course she thinks it's, all, yeah, it's a good thing, right? Yeah, that's all she knows. I mean, Irene was, she's a child born of other librarians and, and that makes her, that kind of makes her stand apart. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about spoilers a, a little bit later too about the ending. Um, but she, she's, yeah, she definitely, like, that's the only world she knows that, that like everybody who lives there has kind of been her teacher um, in the ways of the library. And she hasn't really spent a lot of time. I mean, She's obviously spent a lot of time in the worlds that she's been hanging out in trying to find books. But this is really the first time she's made like a real connection to the inhabitants in a place. Well, and, and not even just to the inhabitants, but also to someone who is not of her species. Yeah. Uh, A.K.A. Dragon. Uh, so she is really experiencing some perspectives that are rocking her world. And I think that's one of the most interesting subplots of this book is Irene having her eyes opened to what the library is really like in a way that I don't think she could ever see without those outside perspectives. You know, I, there's that great section where they're saying, so wait, you just go steal books from everyone and you assume that that's good. Why is that good? What if those, <laughs> what if those worlds need those books and you've taken them? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the thing I, 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 that isn't really cleared up for us. And at the same time, I think is, is purposeful because there yeah. are two other books in the series. Um, and we, we, we definitely felt like we were on the precipice of learning what was going to, what was happening and, and her involvement in this, situation that's taken place with this uh well how do you say his name again the bad albrecht. guy albrecht Al albrecht mm -hmm. um so yeah 
It's uh, I, yeah. I I don't want to know if I I don't think the library is good or bad. I I think the library has a purpose and it's got a necessary purpose. It's it's not a useless thing. Uh, collecting all of that information and preserving it does have a positive need, and they explain that very well at the beginning of the book. But it may be subverted for nefarious purposes, and Albrecht may be re- revolting against that and may be a hero. I don't know. Right. Uh, I think the library in itself is neither good nor bad. It's a tool. It's a necessary tool. And the people in charge of it can be good or bad. And we don't know whether they are. And I think that's fascinating. I love that. Yeah. I liked um, the characters were cute. Irene, Irene was funny. I mean, sometimes she... Yeah, her like internal dialogue. I'd be like, "What are you talking about? Why would you think that?" Or I, I had some some issues with her her thought process sometimes. Well, can you think of an example or just no, kind of in general? I can't. Yeah. It was more of a feeling. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, but I was kind of hoping. I just wanted to say real fast. There was that scene when Kai is hitting on her in the hotel room, and she's like, "Oh, you're not my type." And I thought it was going to get a little saucy there for a minute. I thought it was going to be a vaginal fantasy pick, and she's like, "Oh, you're not my type. You're not my type." And I was like, oh, oh, she she likes ladies. Oh, I get it. Like this whole thing with the cat bird, like she's she's a lesbian. And then she was like, I just like like, you know, the bad boys. And I was like, oh, that well, it felt like less interesting to me. But then it but then it was like, what? What? You're what? Bo- you're putting her in a box. I'm putting her in a box, I know. You're saying you have to be one or the other. Maybe I just thought it would have been said, more interesting. We don't get a lot of that. She just said she liked the bad boys because she thought Kai would accept that excuse. Maybe her tastes are more complex than just one kind of person or another. I know. I know. I was reading a subtext into into the plot that I wanted to be there and wasn't there. And I don't know that it's not there. It, it might still be there. I mean, that I, that's cool what too. I say. You're putting her in a box. Like, yeah, um, maybe maybe her tastes are not easily defined by modern categories that begin with letters. That's true. That's true. I don't know. And dra- I mean, I don't know what, what dragons are into. Who knows? Like they're unknowable. Scales. Really? Fiery. Uh, um, so yeah, he's that's, that's a whole other can of worms too. We don't know what's going on with Vale's family. Like what the situation is there. Yeah. Obviously that's going to come back into play. Why does he not talk to them? Also, um, how cool is it that there was a Sherlock Holmes without bringing in actual Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, oh, totally. That, yeah. Totally. I mean, as a former bookstore employee, as a former library employee, as a person who does this show, like... This is hitting all the fan points for me because it's about books and it's it's, it's about fantasy and it's, it's just great. Well, we did have some feedback um, from the audience. That's not very sort. Now I can't even say the word feedback without saying from the audience. Um, oh, I clicked the wrong link. Blah, 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 blah. There we go. That's the one. This is what happens when my browser shuts down and all my tabs don't reopen when I restart my computer. Sorry, guys. Super Why didn't interesting they reopen? reading. I don't know. This one, um, this one uh, comes from Rob. He says, this is a discussion for the ending of the book. If this answer is revealed in a later book, please don't reveal it here. So Irene is Al- Albrecht's niece, right? Albright? He wrote Albright, but I thought it was Albright. Yeah, it's Albright. If you look okay. at David's comment right after that. I'm not sure if I'm going to continue the series, but I must say the grim fairy tale had me a lot more interested than I had been previously. It seems like she's the obvious candidate, especially with her being sent somewhere that is now safe. What do you guys think? Yeah, I didn't think she was his niece Re- until I, totally, I read Rob's oh, post. I totally... Really? Really? Yeah. 
Oh, that was absolutely my assumption was that he talks about her, his sister and the baby mm-hmm. born in the library. And Irene was is like the only one that has been born in the library. I mean, I guess like it they would made be kinda, a big deal about that. I was like, that just seems too on the nose. Is it have to be her? I, I think I guess I, it can't be anybody but I, her. I really think it's her. She's <laughs> yeah. she's she's Chekhov's library born baby. Right, right. Um yeah, it would it would everybody in the thread says that they kind of assume so. Um all right, I'm just dense. Yeah, but we don't really know. And and Coppelia is like is is as as Tassie Dave says later uh, in message ten. He says in chapter twenty three, Coppelia said, and then I take it she also read it only as much as I did. Irene said, feeling on metaphorically thin ice, which was Coppelia pressed the eighty eighth story, and your conclusions. Coppelia said entirely neutrally. Alberic had a sister, Irene said. This was not the time or place to pretend to stupidity. The sister had a child, and Alberic either wants to hide the information, or he's looking for them, or both, dot, dot, dot. And that's okay. exactly what's happening. And Coppelia's, like, kind of being like, yeah, and, and, and did I was every, Irene everybody going else like, read yeah, this? Yeah, so that's it, right? Because uh-huh. like, it would be too obvious if I was the baby. Yeah, I don't know. So we don't really hear much about her father either. So yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. Got to keep reading. Yeah, it, it did kind of feel like the ending was like felt very sudden to me. Like, okay, now you go live on that world now. Bye. Like this is well, like, all this yeah. stuff happened. Now you're you're like banished to this world. But you know, there's a second book. So yeah, yeah. it it felt like a like a very heavy like we're pointing you to the sequel to find out what happens next. Yeah. Um, and then there was another thread, uh, that where people were like a little less thrilled by the book and, and thought it was like a fun light read, but that was, you know, that's totally understandable. It was a really good, good beach read. Uh, John Taloni said, uh, Uh, My reaction is that it's cute, not particularly deep, and the idea of a world nexus library is amusing. The book adamantly doesn't take itself too seriously, bringing in fiction tropes as explanations for the plot and going for the wink and a nod to the reader regularly. Not great, not bad. Decent disposable fiction. Ouch. I'm already reading the second one. I'm sure they will. Okay. I'm sure they'll get some deep, dark secret eventually that puts a library and the librarians in a fight for all existence TM. In the meantime, it's a fun light read. Yeah, seriously, folks, not every book that you read needs to like unveil some secret of the universe. They could just be enjoyable. Terp Kristen says it perfectly. I categorized it, among other things, on my beach books shelf, as in ones that are light and perfect for vacation. It's entertainment. And Trike says, I agree with these assessment as well. I also started the second book, which is off to a snappy start. I like all yeah, these people like, it was okay. like, this book is just not very deep. I'm going to keep reading it. I'm already halfway through the second book. I'm on to the... <laughs> We're just teasing you guys. We love you. No, 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 of course. Um, I, I, and I, I think I needed that. I think I needed like something a little bit lighter right now too. So that was good. It did. The only, the only real complaint I had. It wasn't shallow. No, I liked it. it, Yeah. Yeah. The only complaint I had was that it felt a little bit too similar in tone and content to the Rook. Oh, really? See, I, I kept thinking V.E. Schwab more. Uh, Interesting. That is interesting. To the rook, kind of like secret society, going off on missions. Yeah, and 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 a woman thrust into a previously uncalled for, you know, unsought for role. Yeah, it was uh, just although yeah. although Irene, this is her role, right? It's just this is this her job. situation is a harder situation than she has heretofore been put right. in. 
So anyway, yeah, the, the, the three books are out in the series already, I believe. So if you want to, you know, have a fun summer read, something to read on the beach or just read like, you know, out on your deck with a nice glass of chilled lemonade, dog at your feet, crickets chirping in the distance. Yeah. You know, so maybe some fireflies starting yeah. to and, poke out from the bushes. And it made me think sometimes it wasn't like thought provoking in the sense of being philosophical necessarily. But, you know, I, I, I loved the illusions and I, I loved weaving in the different plots because I think there's a lot more going on below the surface than some people are giving it credit for in taking these tropes from multiple books yeah, it's and cool. weaving them in a way that makes sense. And also it's just um, the magic system was cool. Yeah. I like, like the language. The language is neat. I'd like to see more about that. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I, I, yeah. So pick up The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. That's going to be our May book pick. I'm excited about that one as well. And to all of our patrons out there, don't forget to ask for your books in Lem's library. If you are at the Lem's library level, um, our fun, our show is con- currently entirely funded by you guys. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, if you want to learn more, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. And don't forget, if you're going to be in the San Francisco Bay Area on uh, Friday, May 26th through Monday, May 29th, we are going to be at Baycon interviewing Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank and hanging out, doing a sword and laser meetup. Uh, It's right there by the San Francisco airport, so you can even fly in. It'll be easy. Baycon.org for all the info. You can also support our show by buying books through our links. Find links to all the books we talk about and some of our favorites and some recommendations from other authors, especially ones we have on the show for interviews, over at swordandlaser.com slash picks. If you want... Go ahead. I was going to welcome Jennifer Wilkinson and Eric oh. Pulvermacher and Christopher Schrader, who are new patrons at patreon.com slash Jordan Laser. That's all. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, guys. If you want to email email us, our email address, gosh, it's late, is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.